from the trenches. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boyer from SQL CFO. Joined with me, Paul Marsden from Freedom Mentoring. We are brought to you by BGL, Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software. Paul, we've had a bit of a break. <laughs> we have, David. Hello, listeners. Hello, all. Welcome uh, to this week's From the Trenches. After a little bit, David, we, I am uh, coming to you, I should have said from the start, coming to you from the lovely Plantation Island Resort in Fiji. So, Bula Vanaka, uh, David, and to everyone. But uh, we've got an in-depth coming up in, in, in the, the coming weeks about uh, about remote working because this trip has been a little bit uh, a little bit tougher than most to keep the working as uh, evidenced by the fact we missed a little bit of our normal uh, our normal rhythm, but we're back. I think it's actually this is the first time that we've had like a bit of a break post zero con. We had a week off, and then last week because you were away, I have a bit of time off this time of year for all of the Jewish high holidays that keep me away from work. But listeners, thank you for sticking with us. We have a jam packed. We had so much content ready, backed up. We we had enough to do three shows, Paul. We did, we did. We've got a lot. So, David, let's get to it. What have you got for Best on Ground? From the trenches. So, hands down, this is the simplest way to explain a balance sheet I have ever heard. Now, we all like, to, you know, often we'll sit down with, we print off a P&L and a balance sheet, we sit in front of a client and you can just see they do not understand what we're talking about. And sometimes- Glaze on Eyes glaze over, you can hear crickets, all the stereotypes. They do not understand what we are talking about. And often we walk away being so arrogant to think we're smarter than them. They'll never understand. That's why I'll never succeed in business. But, and I'm not saying everyone does that. I must admit, I've probably done that on occasion. Like, how many times can I explain? Get frustrated, but we're not teachers, Paul. Mark Semowitz from South Africa is, he's an accounting education expert. And he has put up on LinkedIn a one-minute, 40-second video which explains a balance sheet like, mate, they should have taught us this in year 11 uh, at, at school, year 11 accounting, and then it should be a part of every single accounting subject told to drum into us that despite how complex accounting standards can get, balance sheets are really simple. On the left, what you bought. On the right, how you bought it. And he's got this little card that he uses to show you, well, if 60 grand, a 60 grand car's purchased, it's either been used by cash already in the business, comes out of equity, or cash introduced to the business, which might come in as a liability. He's got this slider on the side to show how it balances. I went and tracked back through Mark Samwitz's other videos on LinkedIn. The way this guy explains financial information is next level and it's integrated, it's interactive, it's fantastic. Everyone go listen to this. This is the standard. This is the benchmark for me in explaining what a balance sheet is to non-financial people. Uh, Income statement, you mean? Isn't that the – that's the P&L, but not not the balance. He's got one for balance sheets and income statements, one for everything, yeah. Good. Look, it is funny. I get so many clients, um, and, and look, I'd be probably bigger on this with clients than, than perhaps other accounts I've heard of in terms of breaking it down and saying, this is what you earn, you know, the income statement being what you earn and spend um, and the balance sheet being what you 
own and O um, has always been my go-to. But it always is good. It's, it's really, I think we often take it for granted as accountants that our clients have the same level of knowledge. And I, I mean, always in the past, David, I remember this from sort of other accounts. You know, it's that sharing knowledge. We have this fear that if we teach our clients the information, it's going to somehow replace it, which we all know is silly, you know, and I think we've, we've, we've proven that with cloud is that you give clients access to their their, their their cloud data and they kind of mark it up more than they, or you become more value because they see what you're doing more. Um, so I think information is power and great to see it uh, given in a really good way. I'm not so uh, sure. What else you, well, I'm not so sure every accountant has gotten over that whole give your client more information and you'll be all right. I think some are very precious still, but that's a separate story. Uh, what else have I got? From the trenches. Um, really cool thing that's come out from Mattel. We deal with numbers, right? And continuing the theme of explaining numbers, how do blind people's numbers? Mattel has brought out Uno cards with Braille on them. Really? How cool is that? And also, how obvious is that? They could have done this ages ago. Now, blind people are now included in, you know, a family game. If you've got a blind person in your family, they can now be included in your family gathering and having fun. Um, but it's just a really cool thing. And from a numbers point of view, I thought, oh, that's fantastic. We'll definitely do this for Monopoly, for so many other board games. How cool is that? Uh, I, think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, and I think for, for me, I, you, you've got young, uh, a young child too, David. Oh, I find it's, it's great to teach them. And I, and I think we'll, we'll come from more of an acceptance generation in terms of, you know, our kids see a lot more of that, certainly around sexuality and, and um, same-sex marriage and the like. You know, I think it's kids just can accept things really easily. Um, yeah. And so that's just another way, oh, what are these dots? Mum and dad, as we're playing the game, oh, they're... Some people can't see, and that's how they communicate. Oh, that's interesting, right? Here's can it, here's draw four. You know, that's how kids are these days. Like it's really it's really great to see. So I think, as well as inclusion in playing, I think it's also inclusion in um, uh, yeah in, in teaching uh, in teaching the rest of society uh, and not destigmatizing it, but you know what I mean. We'll just include it, exactly, yeah. And, and look, the article that we've got up on our show notes shows some other inclusive tools that, or inclusive toys that Mattel's produced, gender-neutral uh, dolls that you play with. You can chop and change clothes everything. I don't know. I used to put dresses on Ken when I was a kid when I was playing with my sister's friends, so I don't, I don't know if that's innovation. But anyway, my next guest on Ground, Paul. From the trenches. Yes, keep going. Many, many years ago, people told us books were dead. Well, I don't think that they are because I put out a tweet that I expected nothing would happen. I said, what's the last book you read that actually made you change? No books with F-U-C-K-A-D in the title, please. Everyone obviously knows I'm referring to those gaudy, fluorescent, green and fluorescent orange Mark Manson books that you buy at airports. You were the first person to come in with a smart response. Income Tax Assessment Act 1936. Mate, the only book, the only book you'll ever need, I'm telling you. Did that make you change? Did that actually make you change, though? That was the question. Uh, well, maybe change some advice. <laughs> well, here's some of the well, I, think I, I didn't, I didn't get the change vibe. Sorry, I think when you when you said I, I kind of took it more as the uh, most impactful too bu- books. Too busy being a keyboard warrior, were you, buddy? 
no, no, no. No, I, I think it's a very, I think it's a very important book. I mean, it's it's certainly um, uh, it was giving me the ability to run a run a tax practice. So it's it's fairly impactful in my in, in my life. But anyway, um, all good. Some of the recommendations that came back: uh, "Who Moved My Cheese" by Michael Stapleton. That's a classic. That is the um, worst book I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> Dead set. Someone quoted it. Someone quoted it back to me. It is seriously. Has anyone actually read it? Have you read it? I refuse to read it. I I, I refuse. I'm too contrarian to read popular things. Dead set is is it's abominable. It, it is it's 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 such it is. Oh, I just I can't Steve, even. Stephen Lee. I can't even begin. Steve. I can't even begin to talk about. I read it because someone posted about how awesome it was, and I'm like, I'll read it. Look, I'm open. Are you can tell us I exactly what's go, bad. Or are you just going to keep complaining? I go, are you serious that this book actually people resonate with? Well, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Stephen Leaney, uh, Jocko Willemick's Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership is a 350-page monster. Uh, my response to Stephen is, was it a hard read? And he just said, I read the audio book. Fair enough. Uh, Alan Fitzgerald, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Lance Rubin said, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Lance and I talk about this all the time, the importance of the growth mindset. Matt Paff, Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. Scrum actually was one of the key books I read when I started SQL five years ago, Paul. This week is SQL's five-year anniversary. And we've got an episode coming up. Well, you know, potentially. commonly people, the coming would say, people would say, congratulations, David, on five years. That would be a common response to that segue that I just gave you. That made me, I come with a hashtag, um, hashtag book stack. We talk about tech stacks so often. Let's talk about your book stack. So out of all of these, the one that I picked up, that I'm probably most interested uh, to read. And people are posting books from yogis and, and all sorts of things to come with this. Very interesting was a couple of women posted about um, books that explain the plight of women in corporate Australia and why it's important for men to read them. I wonder, I, I do Fair enough. Am I actually going to read one of those? I don't know. I might test myself and see if I get through one of those. But the one that I liked the most was... Can't find it now. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, principles. Well done. Principal. Great, 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 for, great for podcasting. That <laughs> Jeff Golano posted principles by uh, Ray Dalio, who's like just this Wall Street investment manager, and it's just like less and less and less and less and less and less. And I've bought it from Amazon. I'll have it in the next couple of days. Thanks very much, uh, Jeff, who is uh, part of the marketing team at HubDoc for your recommendation. I look forward to the read. Well done, David. Well, I'll go on to my best on ground since you seem to go through all two uh, shows worth of your bests. Oh, mate, you got tons there. Take it away. Go that, that, that is how well. Um, uh, one thing, uh, corporate values. I, I, I sort of think... Um, for me, the, the, the most uh, the, the standout ones always been uh, Google. Don't do evil. But there was an article um, in Cult of Mac.com just about the Apple values and just how they have um, continued. I guess and and the the Apple values in 1981 were one person, one computer, which I guess has changed now because now it's one person, one computer, one laptop, one mobile device, mm. and one watch. Um, uh, we are going for it and we will set aggressive goals. We are all on the adventure together. We build products we believe in. 
we are here to make a positive difference in society as well as make a profit. I think it's an interesting one um, more for the sake that positive difference in society um, has, is listed first as well as making a profit. I'm, I'm a capitalist by nature. I always think that certainly um, uh, we should all uh, be able to make a profit, especially around this advisory stuff. If I had free time to give away, I could do plenty of advisory David, but getting paid for it is often the challenge. Um, each person, going back to the values, each person is important. Each has the opportunity and the obligation to make a difference. Uh, we are all in it together, win or lose. We are enthusiastic. We are creative. We set the pace. We want everyone to enjoy the adventure we are on together. We care about what we do. We want to create an environment in which Apple values flourish now. David, we've often spoke, uh, well, we have spoken in the past, probably not often, about um, uh, values and your why. I think mm. certainly as well as having a good core value statement, having the likes of Steve Jobs um, uh, and uh, Tim Cook at the head, culture and values and everything certainly does come from the top. So uh, you can have the, you can have the best words, but if you don't have the best leadership, it's certainly a company that seems to have uh, done amazing things. Yeah, I don't think anyone would bother about what they were if Apple wasn't such a good company. I mean, who cares about what the values are of the startup that grew and exploded and then failed spectacularly and got significantly less on their IPO value? Than what they were. Well, we might I be having. We might would. have another successful. <laughs> was it unsuccessfully <laughs> uh, startup that was called a fraud? Mal, mal malfeasance fraud or something was was one of the quotes in the article. But we'll save that for worst on ground. I've just got one other quick one from the trenches. Um, account kit. Shout out to the guys uh, and girls at Account Kit. A uh, little startup out of Adelaide, uh, Paul and Paula Murray. Uh, I, I should say that uh, we do declare our interests, David, if we are paid or otherwise, unlike others in the industry. Uh, we are not paid to say this. This just makes best on ground out of the goodness of my heart. Uh, and because I honestly saw it, I saw a demo for this. Account Kit is, um, is just some seriously good tech. And for me, what I really like about it is it really shows when an accountant builds accounting software or software for accountants the way they would want to use it, not not built like a dev person would build it or not built with a really heavy marketing engine where whatever we build, let's just, we'll give it to marketing and put on, you know, roadshows and spend a whole lot of money, cost to acquire clients. Um, I really like that and just do it. There is some really, like if you're a, I call it the, the, the almost the boring stuff. Like zero for me was always built on getting the boring stuff right, taking away the clicks, making accountants just go wow, um, and and they do it for me. There is some stuff in there around inter-entity loan reconciliation that I think will just blow your mind. Some client mapping stuff, which is good for those clients who need it. There's some. So uh, retirement calculators, compounding calculators, some loan calculators, um, some stuff in there. But there's some really smart stuff around franking accounts, um, understanding the pay-as-you-go instalments uh, and getting that right, um, looking at your uh, dividend, dividend payments as well. It is some really cool stuff with some really cool integrations, including with our friends' uh, sponsors. 
uh, at BGL. Uh, just a big shout out to them because I really uh, I love what they're doing, and I am. Uh, I've actually turned on new software, David. I, I, I've lost track of the last time I've turned on new software, but I have turned on account kit. I'm, you know, I will start paying for a piece of software. Heaven forbid. I wonder if um, I wonder how much of your like for you to pay for software, you have to overcome so many hurdles that you've set for yourself. And we're about we're about to do an episode on intellectual vices. I wonder how much of your decision to consider this is purely because Matt is an accountant and built this because he's an accountant. Paul. Paul Murray. Paul, sorry. Um, yeah, look, um, no, I, I mean, I, I think whether he wasn't an accountant, I mean, there are other people in add-on space who are an accountant and I don't use their software um, because I don't believe in the software, right? Like, I, I think for me the, soft, the software has to solve enough of a problem to be worth the problems that it causes, being cost and implementation effort and mental capacity. Because I often I've often said about turning on software, that's the biggest that's the biggest part about it. But anyway, uh, that is all I've got. I'm gonna save the rest of my best on grounds for uh, the for next week's show. But David, let's move on to worst on ground. From the trenches. What is the number one reporting app in the zero ecosystem, Paul? I don't know, David. I I presume you may tell me. I I presume is a safe presumption there, Paul. Spotlight Reporting uh, put out a tweet saying that they're looking to grow. Um, they're trying to hire a couple of people. And in the tweet, and I don't know how often they say this in other people, but I know the spotlight guys and David knew there. Um, they, they call themselves the number one reporting and forecast app in the zero ecosystem. Now, I can understand they might measure that based on connections to zero, right? I imagine that's how it would be put together. You think that would be the most likely? It may be. I don't know. It may be. Like, you may actually go to zero and it may be number one and it's, you know, it competes with Futurely and Fathom in that space. But I don't think it's true, Paul, because there is a reporting app that you're already paying for that is completely embedded within the zero experience. Do you know what it's called, Paul? What? Microsoft Excel, Paul. Oh, <laughs> and I re- the number one add-on. Well, think about it. It has to be. You push buttons and it says export to CSV. You can yeah, then would, take uh, that export, yeah. you plug it into some template that you've already built, and bang, you have a reporting app that's completely embedded already into zero. Yeah, I'm calling it. I'm with you, David. Excel is the number one. No, I would I would say that that was the number one reporting app of everything. Well, it is. Globally, it is a billion downloads. It, it literally is globally. But if you're – this is really interesting because the, the, I don't know if it matters. And Spotlight will keep saying they're number one because – it's great for their marketing, and I understand what they mean. They're talking about the add-ons that you buy from the Zero store, but you literally have an embedded end experience between Excel and Zero. Yep. No, I get, uh, I get that, David. That is uh, interesting. Uh, marketing, a little bit of uh, mayo on it. It never hurts. The old calling yourself number one. There might be other podcasts that call themselves number one, David. Um, are we number one? We call uh, ourselves number one. Do we? 
Oh, I think I have on occasion. <laughs> oh, fair enough, mate. Well, then, but then I'll, I'll start it too. Well, we're the number uh, one in terms of uh, thrilling enjoyment we deliver our listeners. That's a good well, one. That's, that's pretty unmeasurable. We can't be held accountable for that. <laughs> you be, you've been in marketing too long. Anyway, let's go. My <laughs> worst on ground is I'm, I'm getting into it. I'm getting fired up, David. Uh, CA that? and CPA have come out and said they've come out in uh, or Accountants Daily have outed them, you know, with its normal talking about putting mayo on something. Jesus. Uh, the... A report out from CPA details $112,000 is the cost of providing holistic financial advice. Um, Now, there's some sloppy reporting in this in terms of using the generic terms of advice, but basically this is for to running a financial planning firm, giving full financial planning advice. Um, The costs are astounding, David. I mean, you you have to... uh, Not only... $112,000. $112,000. Oh, it, it triples your insurance, the software you need to run it properly, all of the checks and balances, all of the, the asset costs have, have exploded. Like you, you go through the list and the lists are in the CPA report um, that you can dig up. And, and, it, and it seems pretty right. I, don't, I do limited advice. I don't do full advice. But look, this is number one. But what gets me is, is to me, the real problem here is, that, and this is a, a tweet I put out the other day. The crisis here isn't the cost. The crisis here is that during the transition, both CA and CPA pushed its members, gave its members the only, the only choice it told its members to follow was to become licensed, which was entirely at the time there was an overwhelming objection among the membership to say, look, there is, there was still a factual advice exemption. We lost an accountant's exemption. The accountant's exemption, I don't want to reinvent this, David, because CA and CPA have got issues across the board in in, in this whole um, uh, accountant's exemption debate. We lost such a small part, which was simply the setting up of super funds. That is all that we lost. CA and CPA pushed us kicking and screaming and said, you have no other option except to get licensed. Now they come out and say, oh, the costs are overwhelming. Well, listen. They pushed us into it. They should have done something about the costs. So, David gets my worst on ground, and frankly, none of the bodies uh, are doing. Sorry, is CA and CPA uh, at least not publicly doing enough? Uh, and I think it's 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 a disgrace to come out now and complain about the costs when you pushed us all into it. It's very, you, know, you talk about the public, and the public face of it is very interesting because members want to know that their bodies are doing something for them. IPA doing a stellar job. Uh, they've launched a petition that you can sign that they say they're going to take to Canberra. They're going to march down the halls of Canberra and slam it down on. Was this like their petition to get dollar compensation off the ATO for? Computer software was this like that gem well, of an idea? Well, was, was, this, was this we, up there with those? I, I think that that I, didn't, I think the cause of that petition or the, the issue of that petition probably didn't have much merit, but I think this one does. So, let, you know, the, the age old art of I'm angry, I'm going to sign a petition. It's still very real in the modern world. Paul. Fair enough, fair enough, David. Fair enough. What have you got on worst? Oh, big one from the trenches. Little company called WeWork, Paul. What a load of potatoes! This is potatoes, juicy, Paul. 
This is juicy. Now, I a couple last year, early last year, I was doing these videos on LinkedIn, which some people might remember, call these financial mentor, and we talk about this every week. And I really, I was I very early, before it was quite a big thing to make fun of where went to town on this nonsense accounting they did called interest tax, depreciation, amortization, and community expenses. And community expenses was like everything. Marketing, expansion, wages. It was like everything was added into this and they added it back to say we are profitable. They then got an IPO at a stupid valuation and the whole thing is just a bogus accounting, nonsense valuation, applying SaaS software to a company that inherently leases property out, real assets, not to bring leases onto their balance sheet, I, I hope it's going to sound horrible because a lot of people will lose a lot of money in jobs, but I hope that there's a correction in the tech market that causes these insane valuations, commonly accepted financial principles. There needs to be this. This is is something that is just to me. This highlights the absolute BS around valuations. The the real. Um, the real problem here, and we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to a New York Mag dot uh, article um, that just highlights some of the absolute waste waste of money um, that that they had. Real problems at the top. That the CEO and, and founder, uh, what's his name, um, Adam Newman, has just now just jettisoned out. He's just gone. Well, I'm out of here, um, and, and just absolutely. You know, I'll take my problem with that. Can I tell you what my problem with that is, Paul? When WeWork was having its meteoric rise, no one really, there wasn't a lot of people questioning the valuations they were raising money at. I mean, it was so obviously this quasi-Ponzi scheme where every round had to have a high valuation to bring cash in to fund the obscene losses, like obscene, 1.7 bill of revenue and 1.6 bill of losses. No, the other way around. Their losses were greater than their revenue. Like, that's just nuts. This guy, Adam Newman, has now been pushed out. He was the founder. He's the guy who had the vision. He's the entrepreneur. Mate, this, can you imagine how the quality of people on this board of directors? This deal was, I think Goldman Sachs was behind this deal. Everyone had the hand in the was- off trying to get rich and nobody said, hang on, this is bogus. There was a $60 million private aeroplane owned by WeWork. And they own no assets. I mean, there is, you know, there is, there is 15,000 employees, I think. I'm just reading, you know, reading for the article. Um, and, that, you know, you look at that and a lot of them were, were shareholders. But you, that's, that's so interesting, that comment you just made, and there were no assets, right? Because you go on LinkedIn, every now and again on social media, you get these rounds of like, comparing some digital company to some fixed world company in their valuations and say so they don't, you know, Airbnb owns no assets, market cap, whatever billion it is, versus Hilton Hotels, which has, you know, 400 million in assets and a lower valuation. And there's these comparison things. You know what I'm talking about? Those comparison cards that go around? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, balance sheet's really important. <laughs> assets are important. You can't just value it at these bogus numbers, wipe it on the balance sheet, disregard expenses because you want to go to market saying you've got a profit. Whenever there was a time for a brave accountant to stand up and say, nah, not signing off on this, 
Should have happened. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, it just there's a Q and A in this article. Just very quickly, um, uh, did Adam Newman believe his own story? And this was quoting from a person who met him. I don't know. I speak from some experience with CEO. If you tell a 30 year old male who's Jesus Christ, he's inclined to believe you. Have you ever met Newman? They asked. Yeah, I interviewed him on stage at a conference three years ago. How did that go? They asked. Oh, it was fine. I thought he was dreamy and full of SH1T. Um, <laughs> it's like this is some interesting stuff in the thing. But hello, but, but to go from that, and this came down really quickly. You know, this is something. This valuation dropped thirty billion dollars in a matter of days. There is no greater proof that this valuation is built on absolutely hot air. Uh, and I, I just, I just, I worry for a lot of companies out there. Um, you know, and, and does this does this have any uh, synergies or any relevance in the accounting space, David? Because there is some some decent valuations out there which really just seem to uh, not go, not be going many places. I just think this one's so interesting from the accounting point of view because the impact of the leasing accounting standard on this this particular balance sheet. You know, pure SaaS companies don't have that issue. The problem was this isn't a SaaS company. Some real-world accounting standards applied to it and the whole thing imploded on itself. Anyway, is that it? How us? a leasing company has more. a 60, how a $60 million plane, you kind of got to go, really? Really? You sure? How, how did you fly to Bali? Oh, on a plane? It certainly wasn't private. Give you the tip. We need a... Um, BGL, help us out. We want a from the trenches plane. Really don't. I really don't think we do. Um, uh, uh, cool. Health. What else have I got, David? I've got. Anyway, keep going. No, I was just going to make jokes about us owning a golf string. Yeah, I don't think we. I don't think we need to. Um, I'm trying to find my other post, and I'm, I just. I wonder whether it's been. I wonder whether it's been deleted, David. This will be. Interesting. Never, never work with, never work with live demos. I suppose. Um, anyway, might have to save this for show two. Anyway, there was a uh, there was a report out by CBA uh, around the accounting, the accounting industry, the banks. Um, we've got one coming up in next week's show. They love just taking the zeitgeist and telling it, telling accountants how to suck eggs. Anyway, there was a CBA survey. That no joke, David had thirty-seven responses. That's not thirty-seven hundred. It's not thirty-seven thousand. Thirty-seven responses, and it was it, it was it talked about accountants needing to offer advisory services. Now, anybody, this to me, it, it, it publishing a survey with thirty-seven responses, unless it was taking uh, a, you know a room of forty people's opinion. A survey about a whole entire industry of 37 responses is absolutely laughable about the sample size. This is this is is like what I imagine around marketing teams drafting a report, and here's what we want it to say. You know, uh, you need to you need to be a trusted advisor. You need to do accounting. You need to do advisory services, and compliance is dead. All right, now let's go and do the survey. Uh, and whenever you get the reports, we'll just copy and paste the reports in and we'll send out the, re- the response. I'm not saying this is how it happened. This is just how I'm imagining it to be happening. Um, and 37 responses. The worst part was someone who 
I think was an accountant. I can't remember. Is an accountant. You um, who now works for one of these add-on advisory softwares used it as confirmation bias to sell advisory software. Like, have, have we gone to complete? Are we not able to be rational? Well, well I'll tell about, you. <laughs> about what cons- about what about what is evidence? Like, that's it. There should be a there should be a minimum a, a minimum requirement for evidence. Uh, a few things. It was Josie Attard from Futurely posted this, perhaps that you're suggesting Paul's confirmation bias, but her next post was David Boyer's TEDx talk. So best on ground for that one, Josie. Were you, were you a TEDx speaker? You haven't mentioned that in about five minutes. So well, congratulations. On you know that. what, listeners, I'll do you a favour. We'll chuck the link in the show notes. Lucky you. The, this report should just be ignored. Like, I think this is... Definitely, this is the, definitely the second time we've put it worst on ground for only interviewing a handful of firms. Um, potentially, it's three years in a row. I just can't remember. The CBA professional report should be ignored. It's it's not leading. I think it might be not, the market. I'll tell you the problem. I'll tell you the problem. We'll find it. I'll tell you the problem with it is it is not fact based research. It is the sample size just isn't big enough for it to be fact based research. No, uh, exactly. It is. And let me just finish on one quick worst on ground, David. From the trenches. A, uh, uh, just funny because a pursuit car, a police pursuit car in America uh, on a high-speed pursuit and the new the Tesla Model S wasn't fully charged and lost power during a pursuit and had to pull over. So I just think in the day and age of electrical vehicles, um, and I, I'm not sure, I don't have the stats on how many uh, petrol-based police cars run out of petrol, but this to me is just quite funny. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, just, just never, <laughs> according, never, never, bring, never bring a knife to a gunfight, never bring a battery-powered car to a car chase. According to the according to the dispatch audio obtained, uh, I quote: "Just realised I'm down to six miles of battery on the Tesla, so I may lose it here in a sec." <laughs> hey, a bit too much. They probably thought it was a good idea when they saw ludicrous speed. I love it. Yes, potentially the ludicrous speed button is uh, was on too much. Anyway, David, what a, That's it. Uh, a massive, huge, massive show of content. Uh, listen, I'm exhausted, Paul. Uh, the, and we, we, we're going to keep going. We're going to get back to our normal cycle uh, of releasing. But please stay in touch, listeners. And if you need, uh, you want to reach out, got the content, and feel free to do it. Otherwise, have yeah. a nice week. Bye. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the Trenches.